we are repentant. We are grateful. We are redeemed. We are prayerful. We are First Baptist Church. my own little music that I get to walk up to. That's, that was cool. <laughs> that was a first. Um, well, listen, uh, my name is Danny, and if you're new here, I'm one of the pastors on staff at First Baptist and have the privilege of preaching in this gathering. And um, particularly if you're new, we would love to know that you're with us, whether you're new here in the room or new watching and worshiping with us at home. Would you just honor us by going to fbcsa.org slash connect? And that's just a simple way. If you just go to that link, fill that out. It's a simple way to let us know I was here and you worshiped with us today. And our commitment is to reach out to you at a later time um, to meet you um, over the phone. Um, but we are delighted that we get to gather and worship with one another. And as I said in our, in our opening video, that's something we never want to take for granted. And isn't that interesting during a season like this, um, where all of us have probably begun to see worship and gathering in a brand new light, right? Many of us ache and long to get back together to where it was before the pandemic, um, and, and others maybe are discovering worship for the very first time, that you can worship at home. But we are the people of God called to gather, and it is a great joy to gather um, with you um, to worship with one another. Also, let me just make mention just briefly, um, we want to encourage you to continue giving. Giving is a, is a part of our time of worship. It's a part of, of the life of the believer. And you can also do that right online too, fbcsa.org slash give. If you could continue to do that. Our First Baptist family has been just incredible uh, in giving during this season. Let's continue to worship in that way. So we have the joy of starting a brand new series in a letter written by Paul a letter to the Philippians. Many of, you, uh, many of you probably have read this letter. It was a letter written by Paul um, while he was in prison in Rome, most likely around 62 or 63 AD. And something to remember about letters, letters are personal, aren't they? They're a personal exchange between one person and a group of people or a group of people and one person. So we want to bear that in mind. In some ways, it's like listening just to one side of a two-way conversation. And we know that the church in Philippi has been in communication with Paul. We just don't know everything that they've been saying. But just hold on to that. This is a letter. This isn't a theological treatise. It isn't an encyclopedia. It's not a novel. Uh, it's not a work of prophecy. It's a personal letter to people that Paul knows in this little church, this growing church in Philippi. And um, we also know that Philippians, man, for as brief it is, as it is, has tons of awesome stuff to teach us about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to live in this very troubled world, uh, and to be the church. And packed in these verses, 
there actually are a number of New Testament verses that if I just told you, you would, you would know. And they're all in the book of Philippians. So the letter to this church in Philippi, just like 121, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. That's in Philippians. Or 310, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Or verses, uh, verse 11 in chapter 4, be anxious about nothing but all things pray. Actually, that's verse 6. Verse 11 is another one you know very well. I've learned to be content in all things. Or 2.12, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Or 3.14, forget what lies behind and press on towards the upper goal in Christ Jesus. All of those very well-known verses are in Philippians. And we have the privilege of working through those together and ask what do these words have to say to us about where we are right now and who we are as the church in San Antonio in the world in the 21st century and what a joy it is. Now, I'm going to go ahead and give a disclaimer. Is um, I'm going to do my best to walk through Philippians verse by verse. What that means is that we might not get through verse 11 today. Is that okay? So what's going to happen is, this is I've never done this before at, in, at First Baptist. Um, I'm just going to pick up where I left off next week. And my encouragement for you is use Revert, read your Reverse passage as it's prescribed every week, and then I'm just going to do my best to catch up along the way. Is that cool? Awesome, awesome. Well, let's go ahead and pray together, and we're going to get right into Philippians chapter 1. Father, Lord, bless this time, make much of it, make much of yourself as we walk through these verses of Scripture together. We're thankful for them. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Our theme for this series is joy, and Philippians indeed is a joyful letter. I'm grateful for that. Joy was like a river that ebbed and flowed between the Philippian church and Paul. There was lots of affection uh, between these two people, this church and this apostle, um, and of course, Timothy along the way. Um, a lot of joy, and it's a beautiful theme. Joy is a very hopeful theme for us, and, and we need to be encouraged by joy. I mean, we, we face troubles of our own, our personal troubles, along with everything that the world is going through. Joy is a very hopeful theme, but the theme of joy rests on something far more substantial that we're going to see throughout all of this letter. And that is the centrality of Jesus in the mind of Paul. So for Paul, and hopefully for us, and you've already tasted this in your life, hopefully, is that joy springs out of the magnitude of the glory, beauty, and truth and calling of Jesus in our life. And so I just want you to hold on to that. Yes, our theme is joy. And this is a joyful letter. But it rests on the glory and majesty and centrality of Jesus in the life of Paul and in our life. So his joy in Jesus, as we're going to see, can't help but overflow in joy for this church. Joy in Jesus, joy in others, and hopefully joyful fellowship with others. That's what we're going to see in this little letter to the Philippian church. Let's go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read verses 3 through 6 of this chapter and get through as much as we can of verses 1 through 11. 
Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in the spreading of the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue this work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus returns. You may be seated. Thanks for reading that with me. Paul writes many letters to churches um, in his life as a missionary to encourage them. And it is pretty common when you open up and read a letter of Paul, he's going to begin a letter with a greeting. We all start, uh, well, how many of us write letters? Any of y'all write letters anymore? A few of you do. Very powerful, very useful. Um, Paul would always begin his letter with a greeting. And so that's where we're going to start is Paul's greeting. He says this, This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. So we know this letter is written by Paul, and he also tags along and Timothy. Now, at this point in Paul's life, he's in prison in Rome, and so we can tie things together and make the assumption that, that Timothy, even in that condition, has not left Paul's side. Paul is under house arrest, so he has his own private kind of house, and he, that is under guard by a, a Roman soldier. Um, and Timothy is there, who has become his caretaker of sorts. Uh, if he's in prison, Paul can't go out and get food for himself. Well, Timothy, and likely a few others, would make sure that all of Paul's needs were taken care of. Uh, Timothy likely also was kind of the scribe. Um, Paul says, Paul and Timothy, he's referring to likely that Timothy, although these were Paul's words, Timothy likely was helpful. He was his secretary in writing these words down. Now, some of you might remember who Timothy is. Uh, at this point, uh, Timothy has been with Paul and around Paul for about a decade. Um, he um, began partnering with Paul um, when at the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey in the town of Lystra in Asia Minor. And so Paul saw this younger man. We don't know exactly what his age is, but um, he was a man of faith. He had a rich heritage of faith. And Paul says, I want this man to come along with me so that I can train him and disciple him and then send him on his way to be a church planter, uh, much like uh, myself. And in fact, that's a, what, what Timothy ends up doing. He, alongside Paul, becomes a church planter and in some cases a pastor uh, to one or two churches. But Timothy is along this journey uh, with Paul. And then Paul says this about both of them. He says, we are slaves of Christ Jesus. Now, your translation likely it says servant, but its most literal translation is slave. And I think I think although we can feel uncomfortable with that word because we're Americans after all, uh, we don't want to be told what to do. We have our rights. And so when we hear that word slave, uh, we don't like it. We, we're more comfortable with servant. But Paul had a very clear intent when he uses that word slave. Slave. Um, he wants to convey to us a very, very clear meaning that he is held captive by the authority, by the redeeming work, and the will of Jesus. That it's inescapable. 
that he is who he is because of who Jesus is and who Jesus has called him to be. In fact, it was Paul who would say in, in 1 Corinthians, don't you know you've been bought with a price? You're not your own anymore. That's what Paul's talking about, slave to Christ Jesus. Um, or he said something else later on in Philippians. He said, I count everything as lost compared to knowing Jesus. Can't you see there the centrality of Jesus in the mind of Paul? Uh, Jesus obviously looms large for Paul. He is held captive by the person and work and will of Jesus in his life, not unlike how the earth is held captive by the orbit of the sun. The earth, even if it had a desire of its own to pull itself away from the orbit of the sun, would not have the ability to do so. The sun is the very center of the earth's existence and thriving, right? It revolves around the sun. And what's true of the earth to the sun is true of Paul and Timothy to Jesus. He wants us to know that I am a slave. I am, uh, Jesus is the very center of my life, my being, and my thriving, my good, and all of who I am and all of what I do has everything to do with Jesus. I am a slave to Jesus Christ. That's his intent for us to understand. Paul's held captive. Uh, hopefully, we are held captive more and more by Jesus as well. But we see here in the life of Paul, right from the beginning, that Paul has this incredible high view of Jesus, the Son of God. And we see this throughout. And I would say that if, if, if joy is the theme of this letter to this church, then it stands upon the truth of who Jesus is. He says in the latter half of verse 1, I'm writing to all of God's holy people. Your translation, some of your translations might say to the saints in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the church leaders and deacons. So we find Paul calling these people saints. Or in the translation that I'm reading from, the New Living Translation says holy people. And maybe we're not comfortable with that either. Um, throwing around the word saints, but Paul certainly does. Um, this, is, this is Paul writing to a church in Philippi made up of young believers. and I mean, they couldn't be too old in the faith. I mean, it's only been about 10 years since this church was planted. But you have a whole mix of believers. You have Gentile believers. You have Jewish believers. All of various kinds and various stages in their, their spiritual journey. Not unlike us. Right? And Paul calls them saints. Paul calls them saints. Just a word of reminder, you know this, you know this. Paul can get away with calling them saints because they belong to Jesus. They're saints because of Jesus. Sainthood is not something you work yourself up to. Or sainthood is not based upon a particular performance. It's based upon the righteousness of Jesus. And remember, we have been declared righteous in Christ. And so that's why Paul says, because you're children of God, because you're declared righteous, I call you holy ones. You are saints. Now, likely, if I told you to turn to your left and right and call the person to your left or right as a saint, you'd probably still feel uncomfortable. But it's true. It's true. 
If you're you're a son and daughter of God, because of who Jesus is and what He's done, you are a saint. That's who He's talking to. And something else that we discover is that this church in Philippi, about 10 years old, also is a church in the more traditional sense that we would think of, that it has some sense of structure, that there are church leaders and there are deacons. In this case, deacons were the practical servants of the church. They made sure the orphans and widows were taken care of and needs were met. Um, But there was this structure. This wasn't just a very loose gathering of people, although that's great. It wasn't just a small group meeting in a home. This was a church that had assigned leaders equipped to do certain things and deacons called to serve in very practical ways. That's the kind of church that, that Paul is writing to. Goodness gracious, we find ourselves very similar. Maybe a little bigger, but we find ourselves very, very similar to this church in Philippi. Structured and called saints because of who Jesus is. And then he says this in verse 2. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. These greetings of Paul in these letters are very common. You could could start back uh, in the first epistle and every epistle will have a greeting like this. And almost all of them include or end with this grace and peace from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we can be tempted, even when we do our own letter writing or email writing or whatever, those first and last statements carry little weight and meaning because we write them so often, right? We just say, hi, I hope you're having a great day. Now, probably we do mean that, but you know we write them so often that they can lose the meaning and uh, intentionality of them, but not with Paul. You have to know that Paul, when he uses these words, grace and peace, from our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, he absolutely means it. So what does Paul mean by grace and peace when he says it to these churches, and especially to Philippi right now? So Paul is talking about grace forward and peace forward, grace that they would receive, and peace that they would receive, not just something that happened in the past, but something that would continue to sustain them as followers of Jesus and to sustain them as a church. So it's important for us to understand that Paul is not saying that grace is something that you receive one time in your life at the moment of conversion or salvation, the moment of faith in Jesus. He's saying, no, it's it's just not a moment of grace in the past. I'm asking that God continue to give grace in the future because without God's grace, you can't be who God's called you to be, which he's going to talk about shortly. That's how he's going to start praying for them. I'm praying things take shape in your life. Well, things can't take shape in our life without the work of grace from the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ. And it's the same thing with peace. We can get really tripped up on this. We can get really tripped up on this. There are some um, who would say, um, you know, grace just levels the playing field. 
And after that moment of grace, you know, Jesus gets, to a, gets us to a loving playing field. And from that point on, we just have to accrue our own good works so that we can be justified or made right with God. So that God would look at our life and say, well, you received Jesus' grace here. He kind of cleared up your past. Now, what have you done since? Paul says, that's not the Christian life. He says the very basis that you're called saints are holy ones is because you have no righteousness of your own, because you can't muster enough good works, you can't perform well enough. No, you are sustained in your justification. You are made right with God every single day based upon who Jesus is, what he's done, and the giving of grace. We live by grace. We grow by grace. We're changed by grace. It's not something that's happened in the past. It continues in the life of the believer, and that's what Paul is asking for God and Jesus to do. And peace. The peace that comes from the Father and the Son. It's not unlike the peace that Jesus was talking about. Remember, this is getting close to the time when Jesus is about to go to the cross and he says, "Um, listen, I've said all of these things to you because I want you to have peace. I want you to have peace And I know that you're going to have trouble in the world. You're going to face trouble in the world. It's not going to go away. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Y'all know the passage. That's the kind of peace that Paul is asking that God would continue to give them. A peace that's not based upon the circumstances surrounding us or the troubledness that surrounds us, but is based upon a secure relationship that we have with an eternal God who has a secure future for us. So he's saying, I want God to give you more and more grace to sustain your life and change you into the very image of the Son. And I want you to know and taste the fullness of the peace that only can come from a relationship with your Father in heaven and by His Son, through His Son, and by the power of the Spirit of God. That kind of grace and that kind of peace. In verse 3, in verse 3, Paul says, Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my requests for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Let's just stop there and we'll see how far we can get. So we obviously know that Paul has a history with many of these people in this church, some of whom he's never met. But we get kind of a a feeling of a history and connection that Paul has with this church. He says, every, every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I, I pray with joy. I make my repress, requests made with joy for, why? For you have been my partners in the spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it. When was the first time they heard it? From Paul, 10 years ago. And so Paul is saying, I am so thankful for you, and I am praying for you, because we have a deep historical connection with one another in the gospel from the very first day you heard it from me. It's pretty cool. So what is that history? Let me just quickly talk about that history. There's there's a very beautiful history of the planting of the church in Philippi in Acts chapter 16. It's pretty awesome. I'm I'm just going to... Go through it like lightning, so just hold on, okay? 
So we know um, that Philippi is the first church that, that Paul plants in Europe. After God kept him from going back into Asia to preach the gospel, the Holy Spirit made a way because he gave him a vision of the Macedonian man. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's all in chapter 16. But Paul received a vision to go to Europe for the very first time. So he gets on a ship with his companions Uh, Luke, Timothy, and Silas, they make their way to Neapolis, that port city, and then they go straight to Philippi. In Philippi, uh, Paul does the best he can to go about his normal missionary rhythms, which is to meet with Jewish people and to meet with spiritual thinkers in the city. Um, But what we find here is is that, that Paul starts to ask around in the marketplace, where are all the people that want to talk about spiritual things go? Well, they happen to be at the river. And so Paul goes to the river and he finds women, God seekers, God fearers, women who are praying and he begins to share the gospel with several of these women at this river in on the outskirts of Philippi. And Lydia, who is a woman there, a very influential woman, a businesswoman, comes to faith in Jesus. She says, you've got to come to my house, tell my whole household, all my servants, they need to hear about this as well. So he goes to Lydia's house, she shares the gospel, they, get, they come to faith in Christ, all of them are baptized. And Lydia says, why don't you just stay here at my home, make this kind of like your spot while you're in Philippi. First church is planted right there in Lydia's house. The next few days, they just go through the marketplace. They start telling people about Jesus. There's this slave girl who's possessed by a demonic spirit who's making a lot of money for some businessmen in the area because that spirit would prophesy the future of those people who would encounter this little girl. They would pay her money, and the evil spirit in this girl would tell them their future. Well, she would walk behind Paul, Silas, and Timothy, and the like, all of those, that gaggle of missionaries, and all day long she would say, you're servants of Jesus, the son of the most high God, and it got irritating. I mean, at the, by the end of the day, Paul couldn't say anything because this, this little girl was, and this demon in this little girl was proclaiming just nonstop who Paul was. Well, Paul gets really frustrated He turns around and casts out the demon of this little girl. Well, as you can imagine, people were upset. The businessmen were upset because now they were losing money. This girl could no longer tell the future of her patrons. And so they get everyone in an uproar. And they bring the authorities in. And they strip them naked, Paul and Silas. And they beat them with rods. And then they throw them in jail for the night, for however long. We know that in the middle of the evening, Paul and Silas, with joy, are singing songs of praise and hymns, which really bothers everyone else. But there is an earthquake at some point in the evening, in the middle of the night, and um, the jail keeper is uh, scared for his life because he's responsible. He's responsible for taking care of all these jailer, uh, these prisoners. If anyone gets out, he could lose his own life. And so the jailer is worried. He can't see anything. All the torches are out because of the earthquake. And he comes into the room, and, and Paul and Silas, who are still there, say, everything's, everything's fine. Everyone's still here. And in that relationship, in that evening, the jailer comes to faith in Christ. The jailer uh, takes Paul and Silas to his own home that evening in the middle of the night and cleans their wounds. And, uh, and then his whole family comes to faith in Christ and are baptized. The church just got bigger. 
they're dismissed the next morning and they're allowed to go on their way. But there is a history with this church, with these people. And because of that history, there's an intimate connection and a lot of affection that you see in these verses. Paul says, it's right for me to feel this way about you. We have a history and God is doing work in your life and from the very first day until now. And then Paul says this. He says, I pray, when I pray with you, I pray with joy. Pray with joy. If anyone wants to teach us about joy, I want it to be Paul. Right? I mean, I mean Paul is in house arrest right now. He can't leave a house. All the people are able to come and serve him and meet his needs and meet with him. He, he's in house arrest. He'll be there for a number of years. Before he made it, uh, it to, to that house arrest in Rome, um, a few years before, after his third missionary journey, he came back to Jerusalem and he was accused of something that he didn't do by the local leaders and there was an attempt on his life. He ended up in prison in Caesarea for two years. So he was in prison for two years in Caesarea because of an appeal, because he was a Roman citizen, he made an appeal to see Caesar. You just can't keep me like this. I need to go talk to Caesar. So they put him on a ship to go to Rome, which is what he's been wanting to do for a long time anyway, just not in that capacity. But he's on a vessel. There's a shipwreck. He's in, in the sea for over 24 hours. And then he's marooned with along several others on the island of Malta where he heals a lot of people and plants a church while he's there. And finally makes his way to jail, to prison in Rome. On paper, there's no reason why this should man has, should have any joy at all. And yet when he writes, he says, I want you to know when I pray for you, I pray with joy. I want to learn about joy from this guy. I really don't want to be told that, that you know, Danny, just have joy. I don't want to be told and taught about joy from someone that, whose life just all fits together all the time. Right? I want to know what real joy looks like. How, how can you have real joy when you're in prison, Paul? How can you have real joy when you've been shipwrecked and beaten and thrown in prison? Where does that kind of joy come from? That's what I want to know. That's what we want to know. Don't you want to know that? I want to know that from Paul. And over the course of the next 13 weeks, we're going to hear from this man. And we're going to figure out what is the secret of his joy. And we know the secret of his joy is Jesus, right? There's that, the common denominator is, is Jesus, the centrality of Jesus in his life. That everything in his life revolved around Jesus. But how do we work that out in our own life? That's where we're going to go. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your grace and your peace that we have through your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, when we read these words, uh, we ache for the kind of joy, Jesus-centered joy that, that Paul talks about, alludes to, points to. And so, Lord, we just yield ourselves to your spirit through your word as we read Philippians every single day, 
as we receive it in preaching, as we meditate on it, as we journal about it. Lord, we want to learn what it means to be your church full of joy. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Baptist Church has been broadcasting its services of new life and historic faith for 46 years. We would like to ask that you continue to pray with us for this ministry and also for your financial support so that we can continue this ministry for years to come. Thank you.